Please turn with me to Galatians chapter 3 as we continue our study in the book of Galatians. We'll be in Galatians 3 this morning, but we are going to be in Genesis as well and in Romans. So uh, you may want to get ready to turn to those places, but our main focus will be the book of Galatians in chapter 3. Before we go to God's word, let's go to him in prayer and ask for his help with us. pray. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, we pray that you would help us with it. We know that it's true. Uh, In you, we know that your word is, is right and good, but yet we still so many times have doubts and even stray from it into our own words or the words of someone else that seem right and that we may hope give us rest instead of your own. And so, Lord, we pray that as we come to your word this morning, that you would give our hearts rest, that you would give our hearts instruction, that you would convict us of our sin, that we might glorify your name in all the earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as as I was looking at this, there's this very technical language in our text today, and it made me think of something that I do every month. For my family, it's actually something I enjoy doing quite a bit, and it's just budgeting. I know that sounds mundane, but I tend to be a mundane person a lot of the times. And there's this program that I use. It's called Envelopes, and it's actually a website. And what that Envelopes lets me do is it lets me assign value to categories, to like certain budget categories, like food or whatever, right? And so every bank transaction comes in, and when it comes in, I put it in one of those little digital Envelopes, which helps me to kind of see where we're spending our money and then adjust accordingly. Ultimately, I get to assign the value to those. Without me, no money goes into clothing that month or into fuel or into phone or whatever I choose, right? I choose what we're going to spend money on, kind of, in theory, anyway, And when a transaction comes through, I measure that transaction against the value of the envelope that's there. Sometimes we go over, sometimes we stay under, I'm constantly adjusting, and that's kind of the fun part. In our text today, we have the same kind of value assignment that is going on. Actually, really, in the same kind of context. The word is kind of an accounting word. And it has to do with an individual's belief being counted to them as righteousness. The word counted to him is where we get the idea of the imputation. You've probably heard of that word. The imputation of Christ's righteousness to believers because they believe in him, or because of their faith in him. Today's message is going to seem a little bit different than the last several that we've had in this book because it's going to seem a lot more, I don't really even know what the word is, so I'm just going to say a lot more doctrinal, which is absolutely okay. We're all about doctrine. We, we love our doctrine as a church. Sometimes when we come to a text of the scripture, it just has to be that way because God's word is often very doctrinal as we read through it. The Bible is where we derive our doctrine from, yet our doctrine in turn gives us a proper view of the Bible. It's kind of this old adage that you've heard, Scripture interprets Scripture. We need the Bible to interpret the Bible. 
And so as we dig into this text today, we're going to be looking at several different places throughout the Bible to bring the meaning on this text today, to bring the whole point together that the righteousness of Christ is assigned to believers, giving them infinite value when we stand before the Father. It's a perfect question and answer from the, from the catechism today. I almost thought I would just be done and let that be our sermon because it was just so good. Right, It's something that we should just read as we go through this week. Heidelberg, number 60, so good. So as we look at the text today, we're going to divide this into three main points concerning the big verbs that we see in the text today. First, believe to God, and then counter to, to him as righteous, and then blessed with Abraham. So with that, let's look together at God's word. Galatians chapter 3, starting at verse 6. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Galatians 6, or Galatians 3, excuse me, starting at verse 6 and reading through verse 9. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed among with Abraham, the man of faith. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So with this passage, uh, this is kind of where Galatians kind of... uh, We've got we've had all this uh, kind of introductory stuff and more big big ideas and this is kind of where Galatians breaks open and shows us uh, the nuts and bolts under the, the big idea and so more than any time it's important for me to relay the context to you again so that we know where we're at it's important to remember that the Galatian churches were being misled by a group called the Judaizers and the Judaizers essentially saying to them. The believer has to be circumcised in order to be saved. Circumcision was a sign of the covenant given to Israel, which pointed forward to God's covenant promises with Israel. But that was all. It was a sign and a seal of the promises of God. In the New Testament, we see that same sign going forward as baptism. But the same rules apply. It's a sign and a seal, not a requirement. Which is why it's important today. Because as we look at this, we're going to look at this original sign being given to Abraham. And as we bring him into the picture, we have to go back to Genesis in order to get that full story. And just as an aside, if you're here for more than two or three Sundays in a row, you're probably going to hear me or someone else mention the covenants in some capacity. Because we are a church that believes in covenant theology it's as a lens by which we view scripture. What does that mean? You're going, if you ever hear me saying that, what does that word covenant theology mean? Well, it's the most basic understanding. It's how God deals with his people and the promises that hold that relationship together, that hold God's relationship together, the one that he has with his people. And ultimately, the promise is fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. As he represents not only the covenant promise, he is the covenant promise, but he also stands in our place as one of the parties in that covenant. So we're going to be dealing with that pretty thoroughly over the next few weeks, actually, but maybe 
uh, on Wednesday nights. We're going to be having a Wednesday night service starting this week, actually, at 7 p.m. We will probably go through uh, more thoroughly what is covenant theology, what does that mean. I think that would be a great topic for Wednesday night. Uh, those covenants are promises. And those promises, with those promises, come blessings. And it's the belief and the ultimate blessing that we get through that is, of course, Jesus Christ who brings salvation. That brings us to the first point, believed God. Look with me at verse 6 again. Verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. There's a whole lot to unpack here. Uh, We're later going to be looking in Romans 4, where Paul also quotes this verse for a similar reason, which is from Psalm 32, which we read earlier. In order, uh, actually it's from Genesis, but Psalm 32 actually refers to it as well. In order to get the full idea of what we're dealing with here, again, we have to go back to Genesis, which going back to Genesis happens to be one of my favorite things. So let's go to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to be looking just at the first three verses here. Bring you up to date in Genesis. Remember in Genesis 11, you had the Tower of Babel and you had all the nations of the world scattered, all of them speaking different languages because of their sin. And now here in chapter 12, you have God coming to one of those nations. Genesis 12, starting at verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Remember, there's no context here. This is Abram's first. It wasn't because Abram had been doing everything right. No context here. Goes to Abram and he says, Go from your country, your kindred, your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you. And make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is a passage you have heard me quote a hundred times, probably, which means it's pretty important for our understanding of the whole Bible. Abram, who would become Abraham, that Paul refers to in Galatians, He was a pagan in the land of Ur of the Chaldeans when God came to him and gave him this promise. He was out worshiping other gods and God came to him and gave him this promise. And notice, if you look at verse 4, we see Abram's response really quickly. So Abram went out as the Lord told him. He did the thing that the Lord told him to do. This promise is pretty important. I will make you a great nation. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And in you, meaning from you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Each one of those promises kind of feeds off the next. With with the culmination being that the whole earth is going to be blessed through this one man who was a pagan in the land of Ur of the Chaldeans named Abram. That alone parallels with Paul's own story, does it not? He was an unbeliever until he was on the road to Damascus and Jesus told him, I have other plans for you. 
God's plan to bless the whole world through Abram's descendants would ultimately find fulfillment in Jesus Christ. We read about this throughout the scriptures. We read about the culmination of this in Revelation. Every tribe, tongue, and nation will cry out, Salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. But there's a problem. When Abram is given this promise, he's 75 years old. His wife, Sarah, wasn't much younger than he was. They were past childbearing age. So a great nation may be a great idea, but Abram didn't really think that he was up for the task. God knew Abram's heart in this. And so he went to him. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 15. And let's look at the first six verses there. Again, remember, Abram, 75 years old. God, I'm going to make a great nation of you. Abram probably has some doubts, right? As we all would. Genesis 15, starting at verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give for me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me, behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside, the Lord brought him outside, and said, Look toward heaven. And number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And get this. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abram doubted, so the Lord took him outside and gave him an object lesson. In a way, God did for Abram very much with the sacraments that we have here set before us in the Lord's table, do for us today. They show us a picture of his covenant promises. God showed him the stars and said, So shall your offspring be. And that's the connection that we see in Galatians 3.6. When Abram saw it, he believed that this promise would come true. And God counted that to him as righteousness. Does that mean, then, that Abram was going to go out from that place and always believe that and never, ever have trouble with that promise ever again and always only just trust the Lord in everything that he said? No. Just read chapter 16. You don't even have to go very far before he just forgets. He and Sarah really struggle with the promise. That's putting it mildly. So God takes care of it. In order to ensure that his covenant promises will be kept, even through Abram, or us, or anybody for that matter, because we're not going to be faithful, he made a promise with himself. Still in Genesis 15, look at verses 17 and 18. Just to kind of give you some context of what's going on without reading all of that. The covenant ceremony in those days, they would actually cut animals in, in two, and put them on either side of a path, kind of like looking down the aisle of the church here. And then both parties would walk through those halves of dead animals, essentially sealing their promise, saying that if we don't keep our end of the bargain, 
then what happened to these animals is going to happen to us. And so Abram prepares the animals as God directs, and then God puts Abraham to sleep. And he's laying over here in the corner. Verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land. From the river of, of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates, and he goes on and he mentions several groups of people who currently inhabit that land, who they were going to, in the future, take that land from. Both parties would walk through that, those dead animals, signaling what would happen to them if they broke the terms of the covenant. And while Abram slept over in the corner, God walked through those animals by himself. For the sake of his name, for the sake of his covenant people, he is holding up the promise on both ends. Not only did God initiate the relationship with Abram, not only did he go to him while he was a pagan in some other land, but he's also holding up the promise with Abram, even though Abram was going to continue to struggle with unfaithfulness. God does not struggle with faithfulness. And we're going to see that as it comes to fruition in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who was Abraham's son, who would be a blessing to the whole world. So Abraham believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness. He didn't have to do anything other than believe. And that faith that he was given was a gift from God. It demonstrated that even pagans can drop their gods leave their land and their people, and follow the Lord. We're all a demonstration of that. That brings me to the next point, counted to him as righteousness. The word here, counted to him, is where we get our word logic from. And in the Latin, the word here is actually the word imputare, which we get our word imputation, which sounds like a really, really uh, strong kind of theological term. And you often hear it with, Christ's righteousness. And you hear this idea that Christ's righteousness is imputed to believers. Well, what does that mean? Well, understanding it as an accounting term is really the best way to get at it. That, that we are assigned the righteousness of Christ. That when Abraham believed, that belief that he had was counted to him or assigned to him as righteousness. When he believed, all of a sudden, he had righteousness that he didn't have before because God assigned it to him or imputed it to him. The faith that he placed in the promises of God is what caused God to assign that to him. And that faith that he placed in God was a gift from God in the first place. We know that, that faith is a gift from God. We read that throughout the scriptures. Otherwise, we'd be left in our sin. Abram would have stayed in land of, of Ur, the Chaldeans, with the other pagans. Paul would have went on his way, and he would have turned the Christians in in Damascus. So why would Paul bring this in? Because Abram was the father figure of the Jewish religion. And for them to see that Abram was actually looking forward to the promise of Jesus 
rather than salvation on his own accord, this is what's going to make the difference for them in understanding the truth of the gospel. Paul gets right to the point in Romans 4 as well. Turn with me to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, I'm going to look at the first 10 verses. And just understand what we just read in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, what we read in Galatians 3, bringing all that together, you're going to see the same thing here in Romans chapter 4. Verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. This is our quotation from Psalm 32 that we read from earlier today. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised? This is the whole question of the book of Galatians, right? Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but it was before he had been circumcised. Notice, Abraham's belief was not a work of his. Rather, it is seen as a gift. And Paul goes into this illustration to help us understand this. If a man works, the money he received is not a gift, right? The money that he received is his paycheck. It's what he's owed. With faith, it's different. Because it has nothing to do with the work that we did. It's the work that was done for you. It's the work that was done for you. So faith is a gift. It's not our work so that we can't boast. And you've heard people talk about this. Well, I've read, you know, they'll, they'll talk about their own faith that they, that they have in the Lord. Well, I've read all the evidence about Jesus, and I think I've made the right decision based on all the evidence. No, Jesus did the work in your heart. He may have used that evidence that you read in order to bring you around to understand him. He may have used whatever you read as a means to do that work, but the Lord Jesus did that work in you. God went to Abram in Ur. He went to Paul on the road to Damascus. He found me at a BCM puppet show, of all things, and showed me the gospel. He does the work so that he can be glorified. And because it's his work, because it's his work, understand this, because it's his work, it's worth something. If it was mine, it's not worth much. It's worth filthy rags is what the scripture tells me. But because it's the work of the Son of God, it has infinite value. In fact, the faith is worth the very righteousness of God, which is a sign to us when we have faith. And that's what's so important there in Romans 4 and verse 10. 
That's what Paul talks about in the whole book of Galatians. It happened before Abraham was circumcised. It didn't have anything to do with this act that he had done. It happened when he went out and he looked at the stars on his back porch. And God told him the promises and he believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. It's not circumcision. It's not baptism. It's not any other work that saves us. It's the work of Jesus Christ. It's the work of Jesus that is counted to us as righteousness. Through this, brothers and sisters in Christ, we have eternal life, which is the greatest gift of all. Yet there is quite a bit when it comes to that blessing. And that brings us to the last point, blessed with Abraham. Look at verse 7 back in Galatians 3. Know then, know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. We're going to get into this more as we go forward. Understand the meaning here. When we believe... When we, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ alone, we share in the inheritance of Abraham. Remember all the promises that he was given back there in Genesis 12. When we believe, we share in that. We are counted as his sons and his daughters, and thus are part of that great nation that God said he was going to make him into. How did he do that? He did that through the work of Christ and Christ alone. As a side point, what does this also mean? It means that we... Are, it means that we are his as Gentiles. We are not a different family over here, and Israel is this other family. It's not a separate thing. There's only one great nation that God is making. We aren't the covenantal quasi-siblings of Israel or anything weird like that. We are all the same family because the only family that God has is those who believe in Jesus Christ, and that's it. Counted as righteousness because of faith in Christ, both Jew and Gentile. Look again at look at verses eight and nine with me. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Notice what's going on here. I love this. We have the scriptures as the subject. The scriptures as the actor in verse 8. The scriptures foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles. So the scriptures preached the gospel to Abraham. I love this because the writer of Hebrews tells us that the word of God is living and active. Sharper than the two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and the spirits of joints and to marrow, discerning the, the thoughts and the intentions of the heart of man. The scripture is living and active. God's word is the actor here because when God speaks, something happens. When God speaks, something has to happen. His word is not passive by definition. It preaches, it creates, it restores, it regenerates, it imputes, it blesses. And notice, when it preached the gospel to Abraham, look at the content of the gospel that it preached. In you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Why? Because in him, in the distant future, was one named Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, when we pray for other churches here in town, we, the number one prayer that we have for them every single time, is that the gospel message would go forward from their pulpits. We want that desperately. 
We want every church in town. We want every church in West Kentucky preaching the gospel. Why? So that the children of God who are sitting in the seats will be blessed. Because there's no other blessing. So that the nations of the world will be blessed. So that the name of Jesus Christ can be made great. There's not another message that does that. There's no other message that does that. So why would we preach anything else? And through our faith in that gospel, we receive that blessing right along with Abraham and anyone else who has ever believed that. The message that the righteousness of Christ is imputed to sinners like us is only part of it here. Because we have to understand the other part of the gospel. Because just like his righteousness was counted to me, just like his righteousness was counted to me, my sin was counted to him. And he received it. And because of that, he received the judgment of the Father. Jesus died because he took upon himself the sins of his people. We believe that. That's the truth of the gospel. We believe that through the gift of faith that's counted us as righteousness. And there is nothing, brothers and sisters, that we can add in that. And so please rest in that truth. And if you're here and this is the first time that you've understood this, it could be that God is working with you, working on you. It could be that he's made you alive, in fact, that he's taking you out like Abraham and he showed you the truth of his promises, just like he did for me years ago at that puppet show at the BSU. The blessings of the gospel are only there for those who believe. If you don't believe, there are no blessings. In fact, it's just the opposite. There's no neutrality when it comes to God. You're either blessed or there's the opposite. It's curses. Eternal curses. Rather than Jesus giving you his righteousness, instead he's going to let you stand on your own, which will be insufficient to save, but plenty sufficient to condemn you to an eternity in hell. If you don't believe, call out to him and be saved. Believe in the name of Jesus Christ, the only name under heaven by which men and women can be saved. Believe that He is Lord. Believe that He rose from the dead and you can be saved. In conclusion, for those of us who are in Christ, we are in Christ because of the promises of God to us and because He continues to uphold us in those promises. It's still not our faith that saves us, brothers and sisters in Christ. Rather than working to save ourselves, rest in the promises of God. Rest in the fulfillment of those promises. Rest in Jesus. And proclaim those eternal blessings of Jesus to every nation in the world that his name would be made great. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, we pray that you would help us to do just that. To rest in you, particularly on this day, your day. That we would rest. You are our Sabbath rest. Help us to understand that. Help us to understand the truth of the gospel here. That you took our sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And in that, we can rest. Not just today, but for all eternity. Lord, help us to be your ambassadors of that truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So please stand with me now as we sing our response to God's word.